Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Why don't we go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. A couple things I want to share with you. Um, Calvary Chapel magazine just came out, and uh, I've got a stack of them in the back. They're free. Please take one. Um, there's an article in there on worship, and uh, man, I tell you, it was, it's a good article. So if, if you're curious about worship, uh, it, uh, it really rings true with my heart of, on the heart of worship. So anyways, uh, there's an also uh, a, a, a really interesting article about Zach Adams. Um, yeah, Sandy Adams is his father, Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain in Georgia, and and uh, Zach, uh, he's he's in, I think he's in his late thirties. Um, started pastoring a church in, also in Georgia, and then he got hit with COVID really really bad. He almost died, um, and uh, God miraculously delivered him. Um, but his story's in here too. And uh, so, anyway, some good stuff people to pray for, things to read, and so I encourage you to take one. Uh, we put our church little address on here, and you can lay them somewhere or give them to someone and say, hey, have you heard of Calvary Chapel before? You can give them the magazine. And uh, anyways, uh, that's available for you this morning. Why don't we go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Again, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together. Lord, we thank you for your salvation. Lord, we wouldn't even be here together. Uh, we come from so many different walks of life, Lord, if it wasn't for you and your sacrifice for us. And so, Lord, we thank you um, that you brought us together at this time, this season, and this place, Lord, to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another, to serve one another. And, Lord, I thank you for all those who are serving in the back right now, Lord, preparing a, a, a delicious meal for us. And those that have served in preparing and bringing uh, dishes to share, Lord, I just thank you for them. Uh, Lord, this morning we want to continue to lift up Hattie Reese to you, Lord. We pray for that little baby, Lord. We pray that you would just have your hand on her. Lord, we pray that uh, the the... the the whatever is going on with the meningitis, Lord, and Lord, we just pray that, Lord, you would spare her life. Lord, we pray that you would restore her health and that, Lord, you'd just give her parents strength and uh, trust in you during this time, Lord God. It's such a difficult thing. Of course, we pray for uh, the extended family and for her grandparents, for Dan and Tracy and her other grandparents. Lord, we just lift them up to you. And, uh, Lord, we just pray for the Reese family. Lord, we also uh, want to continue to pray for Tim's mother, Lord, as, as she's nearing the end of her life. Lord, we just pray for the Korobeks, Lord, that you would just grant them your grace and your mercy during this time. And that, Lord, uh, you give them opportunities to just fellowship with, with her um, before she spends eternity with you. And so, Lord, I just pray for them. Pray that you give them your strength and your peace during this difficult time. Lord, we pray for Tracy, Lord, as she's lost her father. In addition to having this situation with her grandchild, Lord, we pray that you would just comfort her and uh, comfort her siblings and her mother and just be with the family, I pray, Lord God. Lord, I know that there's many here that aren't here today because they are sick. And Lord, we want to lift up those that are dealing with maybe COVID or whatever kind of virus or whatever's going around, Lord. We know that many people are ill this morning. And so we want to lift up our brothers and sisters that are suffering physically. Lord, we pray that you would just have your hand on them and that you would heal them. Lord, that you would restore their health. 
Lord, we also pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world that are suffering for your name, Lord God. We pray your protection over them, Lord. We pray that you would just be with them, be with their loved ones, Lord. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would provide for their needs and that you would bless them. This morning, Lord, as we take a look at this passage of scripture, Lord, may you fill me with your spirit, Lord, as I share your word with your people. And Lord, I pray that uh, your word will not return void, but it would accomplish in each one of our lives what it is that you want to do through the teaching of this word. And so we thank you and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are in Acts chapter 8. If you don't already know that by now, you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 26. And I titled this message, A Tale of Two Men. And, uh, you know, I, you've probably um, heard the message before. I read this just before we, we uh, started our worship service. And you guys are probably familiar with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, what I, when I was preparing this morning, I was kind of just taking a look. Here's these two different people from two divergent cultures, divergent races, uh, separated by about a thousand miles, Ethiopia from Israel, and yet they come together and uh, God brings them together for a season and for a time. I look at Calvary Chapel Rochester's at. We're here together for a season as a, and a time, you know, and then who knows where our lives are going to converge or where it's going to go, like Joshua's heading out somewhere else. Um, but for a season, we were together. And uh, for a season, you folks are together here. And uh, it's not a mistake. There's a reason behind it. And uh, so this morning we're going to be looking at what I call a tale of two men. Again, uh, these are two different cultures, uh, two different races, a uh, thousand miles separated from each other. And yet in one instant of a divine appointment, God's going to bring both of these men together for his purposes. That's what we're looking at this morning. So the first man we want to look at is Philip. And I'm reading from um, Acts chapter 8, and I want to back up for a minute, and if you have your Bibles, take a look at verse 4, because that kind of gives us a little bit of a background about Philip, for, beginning with verse 4 of chapter 8. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So what that's speaking about is the church in Jerusalem, you know, after Pentecost, it had grown and expanded amazingly, and uh, Philip was one of those seven men that was serving tables there, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and just ministering faithfully. And then God brings this persecution on Jerusalem uh, to the Christians in Jerusalem, and, and so they scatter. And uh, so we read what happens to, to Philip, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. If you look at that and you read this, by all accounts, this is a successful ministry. Lives are being impacted. People are getting saved. Uh, you know, people that are in possession, uh, under, you know, they're possessed and stuff. They're, they're in bondage to sin or bondage to whatever. Man, they're being set free. That would, I would call that a successful ministry. But then we read verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes, from, goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, and then we get this little commentary, this is desert. Uh, 
I think that's interesting. You know, we see angels in various chapters in the book of Acts. Already in chapter 5, the apostles, they're in prison in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 5, it says, But, an angel, but at night an angel of the Lord uh, opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So we've already read about an angel there in chapter 5. Later on in chapter 10, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, he saw clearly in a vision. He didn't see an angel physically, but in a vision, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And then we'll follow that story next week when we get to chapter 10. Later on in chapter 12, then the angel, this is worth with Peter, then an angel said to him, again, he's in prison again, gird yourself and tie on your sandals, and so he did. This is put on your garments and follow me. And this isn't at night. And so Philip's walking, and, and he's like me. He's kind of like, I don't wake up very well in the middle of the night, and uh, I've got some interesting stories with, related to that. But anyways, he's walking, and he's like, man, am I dreaming this? And uh, no, it was really an actual angel that had let him out of the prison. He thought he was seeing a vision. Later on in Acts chapter 27, Paul is on that ship bound for Rome, and the ship is about ready to run aground, and uh, the men are, you know, the, the soldiers are thinking about killing the, the prisoners, and uh, Paul stands up, and he shares with the men and with the captain of that ship, he said, there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So we're going to read several different places where angels uh, interacted with humans. There's a verse, I didn't write it down, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it says, you know, sometimes we could be entertaining angels. And uh, I have a couple stories from my own experience about angels. Uh, from my mother had a story when I was a baby, and then I, I had an interaction that I thought, wow, that, that's got to be an angel. I'm sure many of you do too. And, uh, you know, what are angels? Well, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. And, you know, some people go, you know, ah, this angel stuff, that's just, you know. I just want to encourage you, don't poo-poo angels. I don't know if that's the right word to say, but don't, don't blow, them away, blow them off or whatever. But at the same time, don't worship them. Don't worship angels. And don't put any vision or anything that an angel says or does above Scripture. Uh, we've got plenty of warnings. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light to deceive people. And he also wrote in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So, I mean, we have some warnings, you know. I mean, angels are real. They minister uh, but don't start worshiping them. Don't get your focus all on angelic ministries and stuff because uh, uh, you're going to be led astray. It's just, I just got to warn you about that. So the angel that appeared to Philip here tells him to arise and go toward the south. That word south, by the way, can also be translated noon, which is kind of interesting. And then we get the commentary, this is desert. In other words, where Philip was being sent to was desolate. It was solitary, and it was wilderness. And not only would this be a desolate road, but if that word south actually meant noon, 
then that road that he was sent to would have been that much less inhabited because, you know, in the desert, you don't travel in the middle. You might, in the desert, the horse with no name. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I need a cup of coffee here. Um, that's how my mind works. But anyways, um, you know, if you're, if you're traveling through a desert, you don't travel in the middle of the day in the heat of the day you know you'd wait cool in the morning or in the evening to travel and so if he's being sent out and if this actually means noon it's like man there's nobody there so you think about it philip left a thriving ministry to go out in the middle of nowhere what did he do verse 27 so he arose and went i like that philip was available for the lord to use and he was willing and obedient he was like abraham abraham in hebrews 11 verse 8 by faith abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive in his inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going god just said hey follow me or you know i'll show you but he didn't say i'm showing you to you know he didn't tell him where to go and so phil or excuse me abraham followed by faith even though he didn't know where he was going it's also like a guy by the name of Richard Halverson. He was chaplain of the U.S. Senate. In a book that I recently read, I shared with you a couple weeks ago, uh, he describes his infilling and surrender to the Holy Spirit, complete surrender. And this is what he says. I was utterly willing to be anything, do anything, say anything, go any place he desired, for my life had been utterly and irrevocably yielded to him. In a very real sense... I experienced what Paul meant in Philippians 1.21, to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Man, a life of surrender. That's what we're talking about this morning. Rich Cathers, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a pastor of a Calvary Chapel out in uh, California, and he, he said this. He said, years ago, before the days of GPS and radar, the old Norwegian sea captains devised a way of navigating through the sometimes treacherous fords at night. They set up a system of lighthouses at certain key points in the fjords. All the captain needed to do was to point his ship towards the lighthouse until he could see around the corner and get a glimpse of the next lighthouse. Then he'd turn his ship towards the second lighthouse until he could see the third lighthouse. We may want to see the whole map of what is up ahead of us for our lives, but often I find that God just shows us the next lighthouse. Isn't that true? God just says, hey, take a step of faith. Trust me. He doesn't give us the whole story. You know, I think that's a merciful thing of the Lord because if he said, you know, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go over here and all this stuff's going to happen. We'd be like, oh, I don't want to go. But he says, just trust me. And that's what Philip did. Philip arose and went. Now we've met Philip and now we're going to be introduced to the second man in the second half of verse 27. And behold, a man of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading uh, Isaiah the prophet. So he's Ethiopian. More than likely, he's a black man. In fact, he's possibly the first black believer of the church age, unless uh, Simon of Cyrene might have been ahead of him. I don't know. Simon was also uh, an African as well, too. Um, so we assume he might be the first believer of the church age. 
So he was a black man, and we're told that he was a eunuch. Now that means he may have been emasculated, but he may not have been. Uh, in Zodiati's complete word dic study dictionary, it's a great resource that I have, he writes this, Eunuchs often rose to stations of great power and trust in eastern courts, so that the term apparently came to be applied to any high officer of court, even though not emasculated. So he may or may not have been an emasculated eunuch, uh, but whatever, he was an official, and he was an important official. He would have been kind of like the treasury of the secretary, or secretary of the treasury for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. I had mentioned that Ethiopia is about a thousand miles and so you think about it. Here's this guy. He doesn't have a car or a truck or something. He's in a chariot, and he's traveled 1,000 miles, about 1,000 miles one way. Now, of course, depending on how fast uh, his horse or oxen, whatever was pulling the chariot, depending on how fast it, well, let's assume it's a horse, if it walked or trotted, and depending on how many hours of a day he traveled, maybe he traveled eight hours, 12 hours, whatever, it would take probably about a minimum of 11 days at the fastest pace to get to Israel, to get to Jerusalem from Ethiopia. It may have taken as much as an entire month to get there. So this guy's traveling to Jerusalem over hot and dusty roads. And I can tell you right now, the Ethiopian was hungry. Now, I'm hungry right now because I'm smelling good food, but that's not what I'm talking about. He was hungry for encountering the Lord in worship. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. I like Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. And if you look at this Ethiopian eunuch, that's what he's doing. I mean, he wants to meet the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem. To worship him. He appears by all accounts to be a proselyte to Judaism. That would have been a Gentile that would have been converted to Judaism. And if indeed, so think about it. So now he's traveling 11 days to maybe a month to get there. Long distance. That's pretty determined to get there. And if he was indeed emasculated, he would have not been allowed to enter the temple uh, the temple area based on Deuteronomy tw chapter 23, verse 1. There's a command there that no, no one who's emasculated may enter in the temple area. So here he's traveling. He gets there, and assuming maybe, maybe he's emasculated, maybe he's not, he can't even go in to the temple area to worship the Lord. And that's what he went to do. Even if he was allowed to enter into the temple, he's still a Gentile. And so as a Gentile, he couldn't have gone no further than the court of the Gentiles. So he's still prohibited from getting to that place that he's desiring with all his heart to go to. In effect, he would have been a second-class proselyte. So you just imagine, you're, you're going to worship the Lord, and all these things are preventing you from worshiping the Lord. All these things are kind of like hindrances or roadblocks or, or things that are kind of preventing you from getting to that place. Not only was he hungry for worshiping the Lord, but he was hungry for the Word of God. He's returning from Ethiopia, or returning to Ethiopia, sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, that doesn't mean that he's got his, uh, his Bible in front of him, like this. He would have had a scroll, because they didn't have, the books weren't printed at that time. He would have had a scroll, and most Hebrews didn't have scrolls. Why? Because they were very expensive to produce. 
I mean, they were copied by hand. They were woven. The pages were that were woven together. I mean, this it was a big deal. They cost a lot of money, but of course, he was a man of wealth, and he could afford one. But what that also tells us, man, this guy valued the scriptures. He valued the word of God. Let me ask you this: Do you value God's word? You don't have to answer me. I don't want you to think about that. Do you value God's word? Interesting thing is. Whatever you value, you invest time and effort into. Whatever it is, whatever you value, that's what you pour yourself into. So let me ask you again, do you value God's word? Do you invest time and effort into reading God's word and understanding God's word? So he had a scroll. Now, there was two translations of the Old Testament. We don't know which one he had. He might have had the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is known as the Septuagint. Or he may have had the Masoretic text, which was the Hebrew translation of the Old Testament. Either way, he wanted to know more about the Lord. What stands out to me is if it was in fact the Masoretic text, that means that he also had to learn Hebrew to be able to read it. This is talking about a person, his, he's all in, man. His heart is seeking God. He's, he's all in. He's hungry for the word of God. Let me ask you this again. Do you have an appetite to hear from the Holy Spirit through the word of God? Or do you have the same hunger of that Ethiopian eunuch? Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's a promise to you and I. And we see it fulfilled in the Ethiopian eunuch. So he's reading Isaiah the prophet. Now scrolls didn't have chapter and verse. So he's not like, I'm going to scroll to this portion. No, you basically start reading from the beginning of your scroll. I don't know if you ever saw the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were on display up in the Twin Cities about, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. It's just one continuous you know, Hebrew letters and words and stuff. So he wouldn't have just been thumbing around, more than likely. He probably started at the very beginning of the scroll of Isaiah. I mean, that would make sense, starting at the very beginning. Now, just think about that. He starts, and that's the beginning of his journey, because we find out he's at what we know as Isaiah 53. So he's been reading for a while, however long. He just left the temple. You know one of the first things he would have read in that scroll? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11 God is speaking to, the, to uh, Judah, and he says this, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, when you spread out your hands, excuse me, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. 
learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's one of the first things he would have read in that scroll. He would have kept reading and then he would get to what we know as chapter 9. And he would have read this, By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. In that same portion of the scroll, he would have came to this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So he's reading all these things as he's left Jerusalem. You know, he wants to worship the Lord. There's been some hindrances. Who knows how much you know he was able to. And he's on the way and he's starting to read this. Then he gets to the next portion of scripture in those scrolls. What we know is chapter 11, speaking of the rod of Jesse. There shall come forth from... A, uh, excuse me, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So he's reading all these things as he's leaving Jerusalem. Later on, he'll get to chapter, what we know is chapter 29, speaking of the blindness of Jerusalem because of their disobedience and the promise of a day that was coming. Says in that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among the men, uh, poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. It was interesting when Jesus uh, is ministering and John the Baptist gets imprisoned. And, uh, you know, he's the one that proclaimed the coming of the Savior. But now he's in prison. He's starting to have some doubts. Undoubtedly, you know, that would happen to any one of us, I think, in those kind of situations. And he starts questioning, man, is Jesus really the Christ? And so he sends a couple of his disciples over to to ask Jesus, are you really the Christ or, or are we supposed to wait for somebody else? And Jesus says, go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. These things are being fulfilled, or they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Speaking of John the Baptist, when he gets to what we know as Isaiah 40, the ministry of John the Baptist is prophesied there. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the des- in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. Yeah, polling, reading, you know, I guess be left to right, whatever, um, or right to left. You know, he gets to another portion of scripture. We know is Isaiah 42, speaking of the servant of the Lord. Verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. 
I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastland shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Can you imagine what's going through the Ethiopian's mind as he's reading these things? Then he gets to the description of the Lord's servant in chapter 50. What we know is chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard, and I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And then the next portion of Scripture you would have got to was the sin-bearing servant, what we know as Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold my servant, or excuse me, verse yeah, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall utter their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. He's been, he's been riding in this chariot, reading all these passages of Scripture, and then finally, in God's perfect timing, he arrives at what we know as Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's reading that. And then we get back to Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. 
That's all. See that chariot over there? Go over there. He didn't say go over there and witness to him. Go over there and pray for this guy. Just go. That's all he said. No other instructions. It's just like that example of the ships traveling the fjords at night in Norway. Just head for that lighthouse. That's, that's all you need to know right now. Just go that direction. And so Philip goes. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. That question's great. Man, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy's like, Man, I need some explanation. You know, one of the things that we do here at Calvary Chapel, I know, I know the women's ministry, my wife's great at doing that, is, is teaching people how to study the Word of God inductively. That's where you, you take the Word of God, you don't read it out of context, you read it in the context, you, 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 you gather the truths that are in that Scripture rather than reading into Scripture. You're, you pull out what's there. That's called inductive studying. Nehemiah 8, verse 8, there's an example of it there where it speaks in Ezra and, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the captives have come back to Jerusalem. And it says, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense, so they gave a little explanation and helped them to understand the reading. You know, you observe, you, uh, uh, oh, I'm not going to mess it up now. You observe, uh, you, uh, you, you, uh, uh, somebody help me here. <laughs> Teresa, where are you? She's not here. Um, yeah, yeah. You observe, you interpret, and then you apply. So that's basically that's what. But thank you. That was what. That's part of the observation practice. Who, what, where, when, and why. And so this is what Philip is doing here. Verse thirty-two. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Man, you couldn't have set this up if you tried on your own. You, you just can't do that. God, the, the, the amazing, um, the timing of God doing this, man, the Holy Spirit's hand is all over this 100%. And it says, beginning with Isaiah, beginning with that portion of Scripture, he just simply preached Jesus to him. That, that's a, just Jesus. He didn't preach politics he didn't preach his opinion. He didn't have this pet theological viewpoint that he had to he had to share. We had a young guy part of our church years ago that became. I, I'm like, man, you're you're an evangelist for John Calvin because he was trying to he was trying to preach Calvinism and and uh, you know that was his pet peeve. You know, everybody has to believe like I believe and stuff. And I said, man, you're more of an evangelist for John Calvin than you are for Jesus. Let's just focus on Jesus. That's the that's the key. That's what changes lives. Some people get on their pet theological views, but that's not what Philip did. And he just simply preached Jesus. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 1, For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. 
but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Then he'd also write in chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's just what Philip did. He just preached Jesus. And, and think about it. He preached Jesus from the Old Testament. He didn't have the Gospels. He didn't have the, you know, he didn't have the book of Acts. He's, he's part of the book of Acts. He just preached from the Old Testament. And, you know, I just encourage you. Some people, like, they, they tend to avoid the Old Testament. I, I love studying the Old Testament because every time, it's almost every page, there's a picture of Jesus in there. There's a picture of his sacrifice. There's, there's things that are just, it's just there for us to glean through and dig in and go, wow, I see this cool, this cool picture of Christ in here. Verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The eunuch, again, traveled to Jerusalem to worship God. We don't know, Scripture doesn't say, but he may have left there unfulfilled. He may have left there disappointed. He bought and read the scroll of Isaiah to find God. You know, these are signs of someone who is genuinely seeking the Lord with all their heart. The Ethiopian eunuch was all in. He was personally invested in seeking God, and God met him that day in the desert. And now he believes with all his heart. You know, Philip's not the one that said, hey, we need you to get baptized. He's the one that says, hey, there's some water. I want to get baptized. He's the one that wanted to. You know, the eunuch's baptism didn't save him. It was his belief in Jesus Christ that saved him. He's wanting to be baptized uh, to make a public commitment of the faith that's already in his heart, because that's what baptism is. It's an outward sign of what's already gone on in your heart. Who was there to witness it? Well, Philip, being a high official, he probably had an entourage, at least one person maybe, you know, controlling the animals for the chariot. Maybe, maybe he had a slew of them, who knows, and the Holy Spirit. You know, for 20 centuries... Baptism has been preached, or excuse me, been practiced by the church for t for twenty centuries. Ever since the church started there in, in the Book of Acts, baptism has been the outward means of expressing the reality of your inward faith in Christ. It's only in the last about one hundred and twenty-five or so years that they've had what's called the altar call, where people come forward and pray the prayer, you know, to pray the sinner's prayer or to walk the aisle or to raise your hand, whatever. That's a relatively new thing to Christianity. Now, I'm not negating that because I do that here. You know, we did it at the God Loves You Tour event. Um, you know, there wasn't much water there at Soldier's Field. So, you know, you do what you have to do. And, it's, and the baptism is what saves people. But... Again, I, I'm not negating, you know, coming forward and, and saying the sinner's prayer and all that stuff. But back in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus' command says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when the crowds are saying, what, 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 must, what must we do You know, at Pentecost? Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My point in bringing this up is for you and I as a believer, baptism shouldn't be an option. It's not like, well, you know, if I really feel like, no, it really should be something that you should do. Again, it doesn't save you. But if you're sincere, you're going to want to be baptized. Verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. They came up out of the water, which kind of infers that it was a baptism by immersion. You know, it was, it was up under the water. It wasn't a sprinkling, not saying anything by that, but this is what happened, I believe, based on scriptures here. We practice baptism by, baptism by immersion here because you're completely going under the water. The Ethiopian Yuki was completely whelmed under the water, and that's a reflection of his heart, completely whelmed with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Philip was, at this point, literally and miraculously raptured away. You might say, wait, well, yeah, I don't say raptured there. The word, Greek word is harpazo, and the Latin translation of that is where we get the word from rapture. So he was caught up, and that's that same word that you see in, in other passages of scriptures. You know what's amazing about this whole story that we've been reading? There's some similarities between Philip and Elijah in the Old Testament. It's kind of cool. Philip, of course, he's told to run and, and catch up with this chariot. Elijah was told, or he supernaturally outran a chariot. Uh, how fast he was going, I don't know, but Elijah is, uh, was a track guy, I guess. Um, Elijah would get miraculously translated from place to place. You can read that in First uh, Kings. Philip was miraculously translated to Azotus. And by the way, Azotus is, was the ancient city of Ashdod. It's the same, same city. That's about 20 miles to the north from where uh, they're at here on this road. Um, and it's right along the Mediterranean coast. And it says, eunuch saw Philip no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because God met him. God met him in his need. Man, if you're hungry this morning and you're truly desiring the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll meet you. He promises to. He wants you to meet him. Another interesting thing I, I, I came across this thought this is really cool. You know Noah, right? Noah and the flood, right? He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And from his three sons, all the earth was repopulated after the flood. Well, in chapter 8, we see a conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. He would have been a descendant of Ham. In chapter 9, we see the conversion of Paul who was a Hebrew, he would have been a descendant of Shem. And in chapter 10, we see a conversion of Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, and he would have been a descendant of Japheth. That's just cool how God just did that. So Philip found himself at Azotus. How do you like that, man? Just, where am I? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, what it's, it's the way it reads, anyways. 20 miles north on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And it says, passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. 
this would have been one of those things that you probably would tell your kids and your grandkids about, right? This, yeah, this would be a thing like if someone says, hey, what's God been doing in your life? Man, brother, can I tell you? And this is what, I, what, this is what happened to me. That would have been an, a miraculously amazing testimony to the work of the Holy Spirit through Philip. But you know, we see a pattern in Philip's life that I love. First of all, he's called to wait on tables. Waiting on tables, like what's taking place in the back there. Just serving people. Not, not, there's nothing glorious about that, but you're ministering to people. Waiting, and he does it faithfully. And God sees that faithfulness. And then through persecution, which isn't like God's like, well, now I'm going to persecute. No, but through that persecution, God calls Philip to go somewhere else. Philip goes, he's the first apostle to the, uh, to the Samaritans. And he's there ministering faithfully. And God's blessing him there. And then you'd think God wants him to stay there. No, God wants him to take a new venture in faith. Here's another step for you, Philip, in your life. Your plan that I have, my plan that I have for you. Here's another step. I want you to go to the desert. Would that have been hard for you to leave a thriving ministry? To go out to where you don't even know if there's anyone going to be there. In fact, more than likely, it's like, why am I going here? But he went. He took that step of faith. And he faithfully ministers to the Ethiopian eunuch there. And then he finds himself at Azotus or Ashdod. And he faithfully shares the gospel there as he passes all the way up through to Caesarea, which is north, the north end of that coast, of the coastal cities along the Mediterranean. And we hear of him once more in Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, it's about 20 years later. We find Philip the evangelist, because he's, he's called the evangelist, and for good reason. He's still living in Caesarea in Acts chapter 21. At some point, he married, and he has four daughters who prophesy. So just you see this, this, just this life well lived by Philip. Now, a couple things to think about. The Ethiopian eunuch. You know, after traveling such a long journey to Jerusalem, he probably wasn't there for like a couple hours and then turned around and went back. He probably stayed in Jerusalem for, for at least a few days, you would think, anyways. Why didn't the Holy Spirit tell one of the apostles in Jerusalem, because some of them are in Jerusalem, why didn't the Holy Spirit say to one of the apostles, hey, there's this guy here, I want you to go preach to him. Why didn't God do that? That would have made more sense because Philip's got his amazingly successful ministry. Why would God take him from that? And why not have a disciple, one of the apostles there do that? Why would God take Philip from a thriving, faithful ministry and send him out to the desert to meet the Ethiopian eunuch there? When we get to chapter 10, I already mentioned Cornelius. In chapter 10, God sends Peter to share the gospel with Cornelius at Caesarea. Why didn't God just use Philip? Philip's there in Caesarea by this time, undoubtedly. Why didn't God just have Philip since he was there? That would make more sense to me, wouldn't it, to you? It would be a lot more efficient in my mind. God could get a lot more done. You see, God's ways are not our ways. You know, we think, oh, this is how my life should work. This is how I see you doing things in my life, Lord. And God says, you know, that's not really my plan for you. I just want you to trust me. Just, just go to that next lighthouse. For me, that was literal. I was in the Coast Guard. I actually worked on lighthouses. But <laughs> uh, anyways, 
God's ways are not our ways. I haven't arrived, but I tell you, I'm learning not to question as much why. I'm le- I, I just want to obey the Lord. Okay, Lord, I, I don't understand this, but you know what? I'm going to take that step of faith. And I just want to see what you want to do, Lord. I just want to be faithful. I'm learning to trust and obey him. You know, God is sovereign. That means he's in control. Okay, that's, that's a sovereign. He's, he's ultimately in control. He's the Lord of all. He's also omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. You know, I don't know. You know, I got offered that position. Of te- it was a temporary position with the Billy Graham Association. Um, and uh, I was working well, I'm, you know, ministering here at the church, and I was also working part-time 20 hours, and then they called me and said, you know, we'd, we'd like you to do this for us. And I thought, man, I, 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 I feel like I'm spreading myself too thin. And, and, and not, that I, not that I didn't want to do it, but I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do justice to you guys because I've already got these other commitments. Well, a week later, I lose my job. <laughs> it's like, okay, Lord. And I had already told them I would do it. So I already said yes, and then a week later, I lose my job. It's like, oh, okay. God, you had a plan. There was a purpose. God knows what's going on. I don't know. And he's wise. He's all wise. And he's all loving. He loves you. He's not, out, he's not there to like, feed you to the wolves or anything like that. He has a plan for good in your life. He has the big picture and the plan. My vantage point is extremely limited. And so what I want to do is just, Lord, whatever you're calling me to do, I just want to do it. I just had an opportunity, I, some of you already know this, but Billy Graham Association called me back and I had a conversation with them and they asked me to be a, like a regular tour coordinator for them. So I'm like, I prayed about it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I'm going to be traveling with the Billy Graham Association during the week. I'll be home, I'll be home on weekends, I'll be, I'll be uh, serving here, ministering here. But part of the month, I'm going to be going and traveling to different cities and, and just doing what we started doing here in Rochester. And um, I'm like, Lord, I, I don't understand. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but Lord, I, I love doing this. And I want to just be available and willing. Who knows what the Lord's going to do with that? But that's what we need to do in our lives as believers. You know, you think about it. God could mass evangelize this planet in an instant. All he has to do is open up the heavens and we see, we see the reality. This isn't the reality. We see the reality of the, the heavenly hosts praising the Lord, the four and twenty elders. We see, we see the myriads of saints that have gone before us worshiping at the throne of Jesus Christ. Why doesn't God do that? Because, man, that would be like, that's more efficient, man. <laughs> we could be in heaven today, you know. But, you know, that wouldn't require faith, would it? It'd be like, oh, there, okay, I believe. I don't have to believe, I see it. God wants us to have faith. He wants us to, he wants us to walk in faith, but he wants people to come to him in faith. God loves it when we, uh, it, without faith it's impossible to please him, scripture says. So why doesn't God just do something like that? Well, he doesn't. And I, I can't explain why. But you know what he does? In every generation, he takes people and says, I want to use your life. I want to take you, and, and I just want to use you. Do, do you trust me? Are you, willing to, are you willing to take that step of faith? He wants to do that in each one of our lives, and he wants to use us to reach a lost and dying world. He's just looking for willing, available, trusting, and obedient servants to use. And that's my question to you this morning. 
Does that describe you? It can, if you want it to. And then thinking about the Ethiopian eunuch, man, are you hungry for more of God in your life? Or are you just kind of, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy, I'm content with the way things are. Or are you like, Lord, there's something more. I, I, want, I just want to be sold out for you completely. If that's your heart, God will reward that. Because that's what he's seeking. He's seeking for people that are completely sold out for him. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're seeking him with all your heart, he's going to meet you in your needs. God's a good God and he loves each one of us. Why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Have the worship team come on forward.